You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. And we are joined today by Michael Broughton, uh, expert in sports tech investment space, advisor um, to the industry and all-round font of knowledge that I go to for a lot of views on what's happening now and where to next uh, in the sports tech um, investment space. So welcome to the show, Michael. Could you introduce yourself a a little bit beyond that for our listeners um, before we dive into the conversation? Sure. Well, I'm not sure whether I'm a font of knowledge. I'm certainly a font of opinions. Let's go with that. Um, You know, it's an interesting one. So I've I've recently taken to calling myself kind of um, like a translator um, in the sports industry because what I am primarily is a commercial executive, right? How does sport make money? We're in a business, right? So how does sport make money? How do the businesses around the core product make money? Um, and from you know, at the heart of that is always the fan, right? It's, you should always come back to well, what does the fan want? How, because if you understand that, you'll figure out where they want to spend money, yeah. where they won't want to spend money, where they may be affronted by the fact they're asked to spend money. And these things can you know, help dictate your strategy and how you deliver. Um, but why am I a translator? It goes, I'm trying to get to that at the, the nub of it. But through my experiences, as I've ended up, getting to really understand two other spaces. So one is finance, because in 2010, I was completely mad and suggested and managed to get four partners to join me to create sports investment partners. And we, we put capital into sports businesses, um, you know, from infrastructure to high tech, you name it, we looked at it. Um, and I'm not a banker, but I had to very quickly learn, you know, what is debt? What are different types of debt? What is equity? What's enterprise value? How does this work? What do investors look for? What's the return they need? And so many other things. So whilst I can hold my own talking to investment banker, I'm not a banker. But most importantly, I can translate what investors and bankers are looking for from sports, right? Yeah. And vice versa, and can help then sports businesses go, well, how do I approach them? How do I package up what I'm doing? What 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 do they need to hear to do a deal with me? The other bit of that was as an investor, and, and this was also just out of interest for me, I ended up focusing on the tech. And that didn't matter whether it was, and it was primarily sports marketing tech. So content distribution, creation, um, anything that ultimately led to how do we get what we create to a fan in one way or another. Yeah. The other side of it was also the playing side. I looked at player tracking, content creation, you know, what's the ball doing? What can we use with computer vision? Um, some really cool stuff that you're starting to see emerge. So again, I'm not an engineer. I can't write code. The last time I tried to write code was 1997, HTML4, I think it was in those days, uh, at university in the States. Uh, wasn't very good at it. So look. But again, the point wasn't that I know how to code or I'm an engineer. It's that I can speak to those guys and go, well, what are you trying to create? Where are you going? And I can speak enough of their language that, again, I can translate that back to, well, what does a sports executive need? Where is the audience? and Where are they going? 
and honestly, my, my biggest resource for that is people like Fast Company, Inc., Andreessen Horowitz and their investment. They do a great content. Reid Hoffman. And just, you know, where is tech generally going? Um, and I kind of try to sift through all that and then come out with an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Simple as that, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, and sometimes you think when you listen to other podcasts and you read other articles from super bright people, you, you, you feel validated. And other times you go, holy cow, I'm missing the boat. Like, I didn't yeah. see that. Like, how do I, how do I dig into that? Mm. Um, so it never stops. Um, and you go to the conferences and catch up with all the spot, sports execs to go, well, what's their cha challenge today? Because it moved from six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that's the, the life I lead as well. And it's, it's things like these conversations with smarter people than I, like yourselves, um, that uh, keep this kind of podcast. Battery will take you far, Thomas. Keep going. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Getting them on, buttering them up, and then getting all the insights that I get and then releasing it to the world. But uh, really the core purpose is that I get, I get first uh, bite of the apple in terms of understanding what's happening. And um, that's interesting that you mentioned it. I really like that at the start of it, that it's the fan at the center of this. And I think with sports and especially sports business in terms of are you, how are you making money out of this? Because as you said, it is a business. Sometimes there's um, two ends of the spectrum. One is romanticizing it and just going, well, this is just something about sport is, is different and it's amazing and we don't have to necessarily worry about that. That'll be the fan. And the other end of the spectrum is just um, seeing it as basically uh, cattle or, or, you know, the fan as, as, as just, a, um, just a commodity that you immediately monetize and I think that point around focusing on the fan is is I use the example of Amazon in terms of how Amazon's built its business is is that the customer sits at the center of everything they do and therefore you, you just build this huge business that spins off into so many different areas um, and that's the way that a lot of big tech think about their customer is the same way that sports I think should think about their fan. Look I think you're bang on I I I went one step further than you I kind of stole the Amazon flywheel and I created what I call the fan flywheel. I, and I literally started with the Amazon sheet in front of me, you know, pinned up and just started thinking about it. Well, okay. Well, if that's how they think about it and the fan comes one, number one, or the customer comes number one, how do you get that spinning? Right. And accepting that ultimately they are the audience. So there is a nervousness in, in the sports industry, which, you know, I remember going to Stanford Bridge in the late eighties, early and mid eighties as well, but I don't really remember that. Um, and you were cattle and you were herded yeah. in and there were fences in front of you and the toilets, my, my, my mother wouldn't use the women's toilets at Stanford Bridge. They were vile. She's like, I'm not going in there. It's disgusting. Right. So, they had that weird experience for a lot of fans in many places where they were genuinely treated as cattle. We've, we've thankfully moved on from there, but now there is a nervousness that we want to make money from them directly. Yeah. And, and you, we've always made funny from them, money from them directly and in terms of tickets and hospitality, but the rest of the business has been indirect, right? You, you, you farm that out to the broadcaster who's paying you, they've got to deal with the fan. Or you farm it out to the sponsor and they basically do your marketing for you and they've got to deal with the fan. 
we don't we don't need to monetize them any other way and and you're at this juxtaposition where the world has moved in many ways not entirely because nothing's zero sum more and more to direct to consumer but guess what that means we need to make money directly from our fan mm. and it freaks a few people out it freaks the media out how dare you make money from the fan like well without it we don't exist the question shouldn't be how do we you know that you should or you shouldn't is what is the appropriate way to do it how much of it is b2b how much is it direct to consumer and how do you do it where again the fan recognizes value and utility for them and not only accepts that but embraces it yeah because you and i amazon users and you know we've i'm in a very fortunate position uh that i have the regret that every day i see an amazon package arrive at my doorstep <laughs> from me or my wife right um i'm fortunate enough to be able to spend that money unfortunate enough to see it being a daily literally a daily reminder but my first port of call to buy anything is to go on the amazon app i don't I mean, I would hate to look at my bank balance and how much better it would be without Amazon, but I'd probably still buy that stuff. Yeah. Well, most of it anyway, maybe not at all of it. Um, so, you know, they've clearly built something where they said, look, we, there's this huge machinery. It is entirely to make profit. But if we make the customer feel really special and that tomorrow it will be on their doorstep, then whatever else it is that they need, however big or small, they'll come to me. Yeah. And to me, that's what sports should be thinking about. I want the fan to come back to me, not to somebody else. Yeah. In the same way that uh, with obviously uh, Amazon Video and, and all the other kind of offerings that sit around that and what they've been able to do on the commercial layer in terms of the B2B business with AWS um, as well is, is spinning out the ways that they can support um, those different ecosystems. And, and you're dead on. I mean, in terms of, of that it's it is it's a it's a changing dynamic and i like that you say it's it's not zero sum i think that's sometimes what can be lost in the conversation the nuance especially when we talk about web3 which we're going to chat about in a minute but it's this everything will change tomorrow kind of thing or things won't really change it's kind of there's no going there'll be areas that will push forward at, at quite a great pace there's areas that we won't but um, it's, uh, yeah, it's certainly, I think, also when it comes down to a, a technology is because you have people that are very tech forward, um, usually on the startup kind of vendor side that are, that are pushing a certain technology that they think will revolutionize and help. Um, and sometimes the language around that can be, you know, sports teams are dinosaurs or they don't get it or stuff like that. And then you go, well, how you actually solving something for their core business. I think there's just so much nuance that's, that's lost in this. And, and certainly as well, when the likes of us come in with our crystal balls and say, um, this is where the industry is going. But I think all of that needs to be viewed in the sense of this is where it's going, how fast it gets there. Um, yeah. and, and how much of, I guess, the entire pie of, of the sports industry, fan experience, however else you want to kind of, divvy it up, how much of that will be impacted. Um, there's nuances in that. 
So the, I, I, well, it's all it's all nuance. It's always shades of grey, right? And and it, it's never that, zero that sum. You like, can't put that in a in a short uh, in a short byline though. That's that's well, boring. That's boring. Well, no, right? And and so look, I write articles on LinkedIn on a fairly regular basis, and if you write a byline like that, no one's going to read it. The, I think one of the articles I wrote the most that had the most views and it was total clickbait was um, sponsorship is burning. But I spent seven years in sponsorship. I sold cigarettes and alcohol off the back of Formula One and I had a great time doing it and it did great for the products I sold. Um, I really believe in the value of sponsorship. I think what my point was, was you need to rethink how you deliver it. So I gravitate towards tech because the reality of our world is, particularly in the Western world, which is where I tend to spend most of my time, that's where the consumer is. They're on tech. Yeah. An increasing amount of their time. So, and that's not going to change. And whilst I want my son playing football in the back garden, I have to accept he's also going to play FIFA on his iPhone or on a console. Um, well, maybe, maybe actually, not, maybe not FIFA, but but yeah, a, a soccer, yeah, yeah, that, football that's, simulation game, a yeah. football simulation game. Well, look, I'm I'm rather partial to the franchise, and I worked with FIFA eighteen months. I, I I think the one of the challenges is though that people do paint it as zero sum, right? That you either embrace this tech or you die, and and I, I think that slows the process down. Right. So I think the challenge is how do you communicate? And I do try then in the meat of my articles and try to say, look, sport has actually come a long way in the last 10 years. Mm. Right. From the people it's hiring, the technology it's using, its innovation. You know, FIFA's gone from, you know, goal line technology to VAR to robo VAR or robo offside in pretty quick order. Mm. Um so there is innovation happening and people are doing more and more interesting things. So we shouldn't always knock ourselves on the head. The only problem is, is that the, the fan, the consumer moves quicker. Yeah. So we're on, you're on a treadmill and you have to accept you're on a treadmill. You're, you're kind of, you know, the, the mouse on the, on the wheel spinning around. This will never stop. You will have to continually look at your tech stack and say, how do we update and how do we keep moving? What I would always recommend, though, is technology is a conduit to something. Mm. I'm a technophile, but if, if you can do it better in a manual way, do it the manual way, right? If it gets accelerated and has a bigger impact, use tech, right? So not everything should be delivered via tech. That, that you, should, you should go in with your eyes wide open. And your organization, it should not be. And there was a very good article on Sportico, I think, around recently about, you know, WWE moving off, you know, its own directed consumer OTT platform. It's like, well, it's a very interesting case study that we should all be looking at and saying, well, why, why them, how them, what happened? You know, was it just a massive check and it took away, you know, they're no longer a tech company. Um, is it that when they went to direct to consumer, they didn't go all in, right? Which is, you know, there's so many different ways to look at it. There's, I don't think there's any one right or wrong way, but I think the important thing is to say, 
what is right for WWE and what is right for the NFL and what is right for Bradford City are going to be different. Mm. And the budgets are different and the fan expectations and needs are different. So how do you, you, what is the different stack you need to look at? That means you can get to know them, learn about them and communicate with them the way they want to be communicated with. And it's with, not to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 a couple of points on that. I think that sports needs to realize that it is, is an industry within the broader world in terms of these macro, macro trends in tech we were talking about. Um, Amazon and, and just the way that people interact and, and use technology is, is the, you know, the huge waves of, of how people um, cha- change and um, interact and those changing interactions. And again, I keep saying we're going to get to Web3, but we will get there. But that is something that is, is happening outside of, of sports. Sports is just a fantastic expression of that, I guess, and how people live their lives and yeah. things like that. So it's, it's understanding that these trends are coming um, whether you like them or not, how does sports uh, apply them? And the second point is, um, I love a quote by, it's attributed to Stephen Fry. I have no idea if it's, um, it's actually, he said that, but you know, the internet will, will know for sure. Uh, saying that the, the advent of the Kindle in digital books um, uh, threatens the existence of books as much as uh, escalators do to stairs in the sense of, yes, there's this fantastic new tech solution um, but what's the cost, what's the practicality, all that kind of stuff. So to your point, if you can put a set of stairs in somewhere instead of an escalator, um, it kind of breaks down when you talk about accessibility, but, but generally in the sense of, all right, what is the efficiency of doing this manually or can you do a fantastic new high tech? So I would, I would change the question, right, slightly, which is I, I don't, the reason for stairs or escalators is go up or down. It doesn't change the requirement to go up or down. I don't think the creation of the Kindle was the death of books. It may actually have increased the volume of books sold. I think the challenge is that the, the way the pie got divided changed, right? Actually, there are more publishers and more authors than there ever have been ever before, right? Because you can literally write a book upload it and, and publish it wherever you want to so actually it's created a a new birth right a renaissance in how many people can write and put their opinions out there i'm one of them i haven't written a book but you, you could probably collect the ridiculous quantities of 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 essays i've written on linkedin put them together and say well that's a book uh, i do not recommend that by the way um you won't sell much um so I think where the interesting bit is you need the building blocks, whatever you do, right? So web one was effectively push. I will create something and I will push it to you. Yeah. And, and maybe the best, the most interesting bit about web one was the creation of links, right? Hyperlinks to the next bit, right? To the next bit. So then you started cross indexing the web. So that was really interesting. And, I still talk about how web, well, sport is still in web one because ultimately it's in push. Web two, to me, was about platforms and distribution and still is, right? The, prim- the vast majority of what we live in still is web two. Um, and web two is still evolving, but it's, it's distribution and platforms. 
and such as, such as Facebook, or Facebook, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Amazon, LinkedIn, LinkedIn as well. In terms of uh, yeah, that yeah. is um, and a lot of Web two is about the interaction, right? It's two way. So again, if you go back to the Amazon example, I don't know what the the percentage is, but I think it was north of forty percent of everything sold on Amazon is from Amazon Marketplace, which is people like you and me creating products and selling them via Amazon. And they've become the distribution platform. They don't own everything. They've bought it from you know, people. They haven't even bought it. They literally provide the back end to you know, Joe Blogs on the street and they can sell what they want via Amazon. Um, Instagram, it creates no content. It's all created by you and me and others, right? So this takes the push for sports to a whole new level, right? The distribution that we have has gone from linear and very, very much push. We have no idea who's receiving it. We're just sending it out there to much broader distribution via social and other platforms and uh, OTT and the like. We now have more information on who is receiving it. Actually, it's proven that a huge amount of the people really like our content, right? Really love sports, not just the people who buy tickets to walk in the gates, right? So you need to understand the building blocks of each of these pieces, right? So if you are a sports organization now, you should still be figuring out what is my strategy? What am I trying to achieve? What do I need? What, what's my data platform? What's my CDP? What's my... CRM, what's my, you, you need all these building blocks because without them, it doesn't matter about Web3. You're not ready for it. Yeah. You're just not ready for it. It's going to blow your head off. The problem with Web2, and you know, it kicked people like me in the ass, was this whole new world and look at this distribution. And then we go, sit there and go, the economics are really slanted. <laughs> You know, I think uh, I was listening to Pet Barisha on um, the Are You Not Entertained podcast, and he made a wonderful comment about, I think it was, it was, a, was it 30% of the revenue on YouTube is distributed to the content creators? Yeah. Yeah. I um, that episode recently, just for, uh, just for our listeners, that's um, Roger Mitchell's show, and he's actually going to be on our Sports Tech feed. In a fabulous. That, that'll be fun one to listen to. I, yeah, I will tune into yeah. that. Yeah, he was talking about crystal balling and opinions and stuff. And yeah, I've told him to to sharpen his blade, so to speak. But that's a great that's a great it's, podcast episode about um, Web3 and yeah. Web three. Brilliant. Barisha's, well worth listening to. He's ex um, after you've listened to this, of course. Yes, of course. Yes. Uh, he's ex Instagram, is that correct? I think or I can't remember. I can't remember. But yeah, the, the, to me the, the the fun bit was okay. So on that one, a third of the revenue's been shared, but yeah, I just think the economics around the distribution on, on social media has not worked for the content creators, the people who've done most of the work. Um, not that you know they haven't spent an awful lot of money building an amazing platform. Um, it's been billions of dollars. So they've, they've put, also put in a lot of work. Um, but if you're in sports, you're sat there going, well, I can't fully shift to digital and move too far away from linear in my old business models because the economics don't add up. Mm. The, the, the two cents on the dollar I'm getting for every post I make and only one in three or four posts is really hitting it, even though they're all good, you know, we're, always, we're spending time and energy and money on all of them. We've hired staff and you're suddenly going, so well, I can't move all that way. 
because the economics don't work. And if I don't do linear broadcast, I just build an OTT. What's my marketing spend to drive the audience that is needed to get there? So you, you, you have to understand that dichotomy exists and it, it's not an easy one to solve. Where I get excited by Web3, and we're, we're, I think we're wrong to define Web3. I don't think it's definable yet, just as I don't think when Web2 was just starting, Facebook was a, was a website. Mm. It wasn't a platform. It wasn't a walled garden. It wasn't an app. It was just this website for universities. So defining Web2 around that would have been ridiculous. Didn't have didn't have messaging functions. Didn't have the extension of you know what Meta is now with uh, Instagram, WhatsApp, everything else. It, it didn't have those, and it didn't have a marketplace either. Right. So I think if you if you then tr- say look, okay, let's let's not try to define Web three yet, but let's look at what are the early indicators of where it might go, and blockchain and AI and big data, cloud, all all these things. By the way, many of these things underpin Web two already. Um, the bit that gets me excited is that the economic model might be very different. And I have to say the word might. I don't think it's definitive yet. Because others are going to, they, people are going to try to build platforms and build walled gardens on what this yeah. human nature. Yeah. It's being designed around being open. But human nature is to protect what they've built and therefore they put a walled garden around it. Um, as I look at my fences around my garden in front of me, this is what we do as humans. Castles, we build whacking great big walls. I mean, it's just human nature. Moat, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's kind of investing 101. What is your moat to your competitors? Right. <laughs> um, so to me, though, you, you do sit there and say, and I'm a bit, I really like the concept of a thousand true fans um, by Kevin Kelly. And what you can do with that. And I think that that's an important one because I think if you think of things like NFTs and don't just think of them as top shot, please don't. Because it, it, this could be an NFT. This podcast could be an NFT. Yeah. And again, you can, because it's, it's the digital format, it can be an NFT. And if it got sold, you could then set up how much it gets sold. But if it gets sold again, how much of it comes back to you, Thomas, and maybe me as a contributor? So there's a recurring revenue model attached to it. There's an initial revenue model attached to it. There, so you sit there saying, well, if you can get, as a content creator, 10,000 fans paying for your access, most of the money should come to you, not to the platform provider as currently works. So here's, here's something just to jump in on, uh, kind of cat amongst the pigeons. Should that be to a league, a team, or should it be directly to the athletes? So this is, this is again, kind of crystal balling, but if this is really true in the way that we talk about athlete empowerment or we're talking about changes that are happening um, in, across sports, both in terms of fans following particular, particular athletes over and above teams um, and kind of connecting directly with that, which is, and then social media, you know, Web2 has enabled athletes to build on the back of these platforms, but still build more of a direct connection with their fans. It's still not truly direct for all the reasons that we've listed. But then if Web3 has a capacity to 
really with content creators in air quotes and if you say a, you know an athlete is a content creator in terms of what they deliver on the pitch and off the pitch um is that one of those things that you're going to see that revenue model i guess fundamentally change or or is it one of those things that the leagues the administrators are so deeply entrenched in how sport is run um that that is is just not realistic well I, or is it somewhere in the middle entrenched I, no I, I think again i wouldn't go zero sum so i'd i'd say i think it's morphing i think it's already morphing you're seeing it with golf at the moment right yeah um what you haven't seen is the golfers say, well, you know what, we'll pay out of our own pocket to build a new tour. Yeah. And we'll, we'll own the tour directly ourselves and we'll be the ones who make the most money out of it because guess what? That costs money, it takes risk. You've got to build it. So it's, do I, get, do I stay with the current tour but try to l leverage it for better money out of it? Or do I go to the new tour that's being emerging in, in Asia or out of Saudi? You know, but I think that that challenge, I think I always pin it back to Michael Jordan's emergence as a kind of a transformational date of suddenly it wasn't just about the team, it became about the athlete. And that's, that's only continued. So I think the, the economic model needs to change, but and I think the power model needs to change probably over time. I don't know, I don't know where we end up with it. But to say that and I found this difficult with the, you know, the fan-led review of British football. I've said at the beginning of this, the fan comes number one. Right? It has to, they have to be number one ultimately because they end up paying for it and we need to provide something of utility and value to them. But fans can be irrational. They're called, they're, mm. they're called fanatics for a, for a reason, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, you just have to see, I mean, this, Saturday, this Sunday I'm going to be at Wembley watching the Carabao Cup final and I will be somewhat irrational yes. um, and, and I, I really truly hope my son will be somewhat irrational as an 11 year old I want him to embrace that moment because you guess what that's what we sell yeah um, so I, I think you need to say that you what that model what that fan-led review kind of was saying was we really need to protect the the status quo of the system but why it's, it's arguably 150 years old. Why would that be the right system for today? I'm not saying it's 100% wrong, but why wouldn't you want to update the model? Right? And what does that look like? And what actually would the fan want? And how would that be if, if there are roles for, you know, there is a role for all the clubs that currently exist in Britain? Does it mean that role needs to be in a professional league or an amateur league? I don't know. I would probably argue economically it's unviable to continue the way it currently is because, you know, ignore the Premier League, across the Football League last year, I believe they lost 400 million. Mm. But why are we trying to protect that economic model? Yeah. For the community? Okay. No, I get that because the fan comes first and they need a community. Okay. So why have we banned... AstroTurf pitches in those community clubs. Because if they're truly about the community, you'd want a pitch that the community could use day in, day out, not just that Saturday at three o'clock. So how are we thinking about it? Like to me, so I, I think there needs to be an understanding that 
regardless of the technology that's emerging, the balance between administrator, commercial, and athlete and fan and investor is changing. And we are witnessing right now a across multiple sports in, in a whole host of different ways that power struggle. Mm. Um, I would say it's needed. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say, I, I, I can't tell you exactly where it'll end up, but I can't say we'll get to the right solution. I wish, I wish it was as simple as that, but I think the questions need to be asked. Um, and I think what's done it has been technology. It's stimulated it. Because as you said, now the athlete has a direct audience and they suddenly realize they really do have a direct audience. Even the, the lesser athletes go, well, hang on a minute. I've got a hundred thousand followers. Like, why, why can't I monetize that? Right. And why can't cool. I sell my own NFT? And that's, and that's something that's interesting because it's, it is still that the metrics for success are still um, web to in terms of and seeing here in the us with name image likeness the changes of, of college athletes being able to earn money from their name image likeness which is well overdue as um if you ask me but the idea that um they can use their social media platforms and following and then get endorsement deals signed from that but that that's still but the, the metric is um i have I have so-and-so following on Facebook, on Instagram, whatever else. This shows how popular I am. This shows my engagement. Um, but then it's interesting because it's bumping into Web3, which is, well, if I really want to do this, I'm going to go mint my own NFTs um, and earn money off that and do a drop and have that direct. It's kind of this, this uh, existing uh, kind of platforms that are then pushing into that. Whereas what really when we can say we've truly kind of entered Web3, I guess, is, is potentially that those old metrics or those old platforms are no longer needed to go into those communities directly. I think they'll probably, or some format of them will probably always be needed, right? Because there's still, a, there's still a reason for distribution and breadth for distribution, yeah. right? Uh, there is still a reason for eyeballs. Maybe the um, the revenue share or the split, as you said, it's not, you know, it's, it's instead of a third going to creators, it's it's more of a, it's flipped. So well, 70% go to the creators, 30% goes to the platform. Yeah, I, I think if you, if you look at it, I think you will see a, a model flip. I'm not sure if, if, if Facebook is meta, within, within meta will change its model and suddenly flip all that you know, revenue and say, well, you, Michael, are posting lots, so you're going to get 70% of our revenue. That's not going to happen. They might drop new products that end up with something like that, which mm. is you know, part of, I'm, I'm sure they're looking at it. Um, but even if you're a pure Web3 business, you might use them as your marketing tool to get to the audience, to drive them to your, your, your platform. So there is still a role just as there is still been a role for broadcast television in a digital era. It, 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 you know, so I, I don't think it, it's cut or dry. Um, what I would like sports to be doing though, is they need to educate themselves on Web3. 
and, and what are the implications of it potentially? So what you're seeing at the moment, in my view, is people hiring, say, a head of NFTs, or, um, and they're selling it as a sponsorship. You know, just as the first deals around crypto were all sponsorship deals, they had nothing to do with actually using crypto for the sports business. It was just, we're an advertising platform. It's, we're doing what we've always done. I would like them to be hiring senior people or bringing on real advisors to say, look, th this, is the, this is the implication. So what do I mean by that? If it's on a blockchain, technically, this doesn't necessarily mean it, it works quite like this, but technically it's immutable, it's there forever. The challenge of that is our business has made money by selling things every three, four, five, or 10 years, depending on the life cycle that your rights work in. And you know, as a headhunter, I used to say to people, you know, how many cycles do you need to be at the same organization? Like one, definitely two, maybe. If you've been there for three, you're a lifer, you'll never move, right? Um, but if you've sold something like an NFT, have you sold it forever? Yeah. In which case, everyone jumping on the NFT bandwagon today and flogging their NFTs today, do they understand what they've sold? Have their IP lawyers really understood it? And have they, I'm sure the IP lawyers have been figuring it out, but have they really been able to communicate? By the way, if you do this sale, that goal or that moment or your capital dev six sixes in an over to win a world cup match whatever it was you've sold it you can't get it back now you're always going to get your commission every time it gets resold great so it's out there and you're going to be making money off it hopefully every time it gets sold but i think when you're so set on no no we sell it we sell our rights every three or four years i i think that's a really dangerous game to just jump in and do it not that you shouldn't be not that you shouldn't be looking at it not that you you shouldn't embrace this i do get nervous that some would have sold things and in two or three years they're going to come back to that and go right we're going to sell oh what what do you mean we're giving away the value yeah oh okay so or or if it's or if it's not exclusive they go we're going to go meet another bunch of nfts for this and um and then the whole idea of a, of a digital collectible, at least that's what it is at this stage, um, a lot of it is to do with rarity. So you say, no, no, we're gonna go do another one, but maybe with a different platform. Um, and then that just reduces the value of it. And if you do that, you know, two, three cycles in a row, fans are gonna go, why? Where is, it, where is the, the value in this? Right, 100%, right, 100%, right? You, you will, you will, literally cannibalize your own values. So, you know, I, I do question, you know, I love Web3 and where it's going and some of the elements of it, but I do, I do want people to really try to think hard about, okay, what do we give up? What are we actually giving up? Do we understand it? Um, what I would like to see is also it being utilized, one, not just change the economic model, but actually, going back to what we discussed first, and this doesn't have to be about ownership, but the concept of ownership is important, right? I own my content on Instagram. I own my content on LinkedIn, kind of. 
like I can pull them off and they I've signed it away I mean I've have you ever really read the you, yeah. you you've given it away but can I you people feel like they own it like so and they feel like they own their sports team the vast majority do not um if you're a green bay packer fan you 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 might if you're a barcelona fan you might um in a way own the, own it but or you can go out and web get shares in in manchester united they're publicly traded if you if you'd like to as an extension of that you, you could you could uh just make sure before you do that you understand what rights you're acquiring with those shares because you're not getting voting rights uh or you, if you are they're so diluted um so just make sure you know what you're buying um but is you know and we have seen it with the emergence of and i've just written an article about the tokenization of fans and i've i've taken a holistic view on that of that's actually meaning the entire engagement with fans should be on a tokenized basis i.e on the blockchain um but we are seeing other you know fan tokens and, and other products being dropped where how do we get those fans that the distribution model of web2 has told us exist outside of our, the, the 50 miles of your club that audience is now worldwide for many entities so how do we involve them how do we make them feel like something special right i'm not saying we've got the solution yet right i i do like some of the ideas that are out there and some of the products that are coming into the market what i think is more important is people are starting to come up with okay i'll give an example for me i've i've lived almost half my life outside the uk but i'm a chelsea fan passionate chelsea fan D just irrationally loyal right the very meaning of fanatic but if you read some of the press articles and the, the commentary around it if i'm back in my days of living in boston or living in brazil i'm not really a fan because i wasn't coming to the stadium i i don't buy that mm. i just don't buy that from the very concept of you know i i remember boston red sox who i'm a big fan of were playing against uh, the yankees game seven alds and I am in Sao Paulo in a hotel watching it on MLB.tv. So paying 150 bucks a year to watch a really crappy broadband. And I literally blew a fuse in the hotel. I had smoke coming out of my laptop. I had to call my sister who lived in New York and go, it's the bottom of the ninth. You need to tell me what's happening. Mm -hmm. And the Red Sox won and I went mental. I've been to maybe three Red Sox games in my life. So I'm not a fan because I don't like it, just the way it's written about, oh, you got to look after fans. That is written about the guys who live within 50 miles and have season tickets and go regularly. Yeah. And that's just BS to me. The distribution platforms of Web2 and TV before that have shown over and over again, fans are everywhere. And they're desperate, desperate to engage, desperate to be involved, desperate to feel like they're owners. Web2 has not yet provided that. It's just given them more touch points. So can Web3 do that? If you do do that through Web3, it's going to be through the blockchain somehow. What's the utility? What's the core competency that you're providing? And let's move to the point where we go, you know what? The fans who get to go every week 
are one type of fan and they're very special and they are the lifeblood for their from the town they they live it and they breathe it more than anything you live in boston and you'll understand what they are about the red Sox. you know it's just it, it's madness um growing up in brazil you know as a flamengo fan a flamenguista you know again watch the streets when they won the libertadores uh, a couple of years ago i mean just utterly insane across rio so how do we harness that in one way but harness the fans that never get to go to the Maracana, never get to go to Fenway or Stanford Bridge in a different way. And I think the blockchain and AI and cloud and web are all technologies that will enable that. We don't have the final product today. That's okay. It's also okay that we have a product today and it might not be perfect. Again, Facebook, the first iteration of it, is definitely not what it is today. Yeah. When it listed, no one knew if it could make money. <laughs> That's a very long time ago now. Um, is it is it t taking on the point about how we described these platforms of Web2 as walled gardens? Are you saying that's, that's literally human nature? I mean, a stadium is essentially a walled garden in the sense of sports teams know and Leeds as well. With some very big you know, fences around it. Literally huge, enormous fences. Um, but you know, when someone's in your stadium, you generally have better data. I mean, that, that's always an area for improvement and teams are getting a lot better at that, you know, in, instead of the example that I always use is, um, when we talk to the 49ers, um, uh, some of their analytics team about that. If someone's buying one ticket, you know, you or I buying a ticket for our family, it's not, you know, everyone looking the same as us, you know, there might be kids, might be with friends, whatever else that is, understanding who's actually cheats on seats um, and then being able to, to process that information and then make customized offers and stuff like that. And then turn that into more revenue, food and beverage, um, merchandise, further tickets, all that stuff. As you said, that's kind of a, a, that very straightforward center there in that walled garden. And then you have all these other fans that are outside of that, that, uh, essentially in the wilderness um, and aren't as easy to, aren't as easy to, um, uh, I guess, bring into that, that, um, that walled garden and say, well, here are the clear ways that we can further add value to you, but also monetize yeah. you. Um, and the interesting point that I heard recently um, was that um, uh, I think this is from Richard Gillies that, not going to the game is as much as a decision as going to the game in the sense of there's probably super fans um, that are there, but for whatever reason, they actually prefer the home experience. So it's, it's understanding mm -hmm. that yes, the pinnacle may be seen going to a, to a, to a game. And I certainly feel that personally, but then for a lot of others, it's actually for whatever reason, and maybe that's families, things like that, that sitting on the couch and enjoying it, um, yeah. is the way that they consume that. So if you think about it from an investor's perspective, and you're right, lots of teams are doing really good stuff now and starting to figure out, and I think things like blockchain, again, will help on this, understanding who's actually walking into the stadium and what they do when they're in the stadium. And there's a lot more happening around that. Um, and I have my preferences of which companies to use, but there's some really cool stuff happening and people are definitely getting on that. But let's say you go from knowing 30% of the people in your venue to 100%. And obviously that 
it's not the same 100% each game. So you, know, you are building a better profile of the people within 50 miles of your venue who come on a regular or irregular but frequent basis. Yeah. And you're building a profile and you, some of them are VIPs, some hospitality, some are just, you know, me. Um, your total addressable market is still pretty small. Right, your TAM is small, right? Whether you're a Man United or a Bradford City, because it's 75,000 or 20,000 and extrapolate that over. So I, th I think I went through it for a deck I was creating, which was something like, um, you know, I might even have it open on my, <laughs> on my laptop where I think I looked at the Man United numbers because they're a, because they're a public company, they put some of their numbers obviously out, out there. Um, and I was sat there just going, you know, the, the issue is that of the number of people who, who come into Old Trafford, it's probably, and I'm guessing here, but working off their venue, 70,000, so on, 300,000 people coming into Old Trafford e each season, right? Well, that's a tiny addressable market. So, but they're making a lot of money from them, right? A lot of money from them. But you need to figure out, I think the controlled income is like 380, you know, sponsorship is 275 million for them between gate and sponsorship and other stuff that they're doing. It's about 366 million. But if you did that on what they say is 1.1 billion followers around the world, you know, your ARPU is at best 35 pence. That's, it's nothing. Right. So even if you improve and refine, so, and if you look at the charts that people like Deloitte do about, you know, where is the revenue in sports teams? And you look at the stadiums, unless you build a new stadium, it's pretty flat. Like, because otherwise you do get into this argument about what are you doing to the fans? Cause you're just trying to raise the price every year, every year, every year. And the fans will get pissed at that because they're not quite so price elastic. So, if you can build a new stadium, great. Otherwise, you're pretty capped on what you can do. You can fine-tune it, right? And maybe you should build a hotel next door, and maybe you should do a conferencing suite, and you should do F&B stuff during it. But again, that market is very, very capped. You should be doing it because you should be sweating your asset as a businessman better than you are. What is You should literally be looking at is what is your revenue per square foot on your venue? literally and yield per customer you these are all things that people yeah, should be looking at utilization 365 right stuff yeah but you must recognize that most of the interaction with sports fans happens outside those four walls outside of that wall garden and they're actually happening in somebody else's wall garden right so when i did my fan flywheel i came back to the conversation over and over again and I'm still tweaking what the fan flywheel looks like, but it, to me, it's, it starts and ends with the conversation because I can talk about Chelsea, I can talk about football, I can talk about pretty much any sport 24-7. And radio shows have demonstrated this. Talk sport I get into every morning. My son insists we listen to it. Uh, plug for them. In America, you know, Mad Mike, and you know, you, you've just got everything. So... But the weird thing is, is we're still fixated with the three hours that they're in our venue. And you should be, get that right. It's the basics, it's the building blocks. Make sure you get those bits right. 
but we've ignored the conversation. We have as sports actually, we tell them to go and have a conversation about us with somebody else because we might not like what they say. And every so, time we lose a match, they will be rude. I mean, that's, it, it's, it, that's the reality. So, so to that point, and I think that brings it back to when we, when we look at um, DAOs and, and, and fan ownership and stuff like that, it, it's just not practical because, as you said, fans are irrational. And how, how that looks like on everyone voting on um, who's going to be playing this week, all that kind of stuff. That's why you employ a coach voting on um, or having a say on, on how revenue is um, you know, generated and then how costs are allocated and stuff like that. That's why you employ a management team who are experts at that. And it's one of those things as a fan, I would love to have the idea that I could control on that, but I don't have any expertise whatsoever in, um, in, you know, in the same way I wouldn't get in the weight room and, and tell our midfielder how much you should be um, squatting before the game. I'm not going to say, you know, who should take the field, but leading on to, I guess, fan tokens and, and cryptocurrency-backed fan tokens. Obviously, Socios is, is the market leader. Um, and I think that because it is so dominant across the sports market um, globally, it's really the only one that's it's head and shoulders above everything else. I think they're, they're kind of stats for how many teams they've signed on. Um, is just immense. Sometimes, including myself, will confuse criticisms with, or uh, feedback, depending on which way you want to put it, with Socios as a, as a business and, and Chili's and the cryptocurrency that sits behind it versus fan tokens um, or tokenizations of fans as a, um, as a new technology and a new way of moving forward. What's kind of your view on, on both how it looks in the market at the moment with Socios and, and using cryptocurrencies as largely the basis for those fan tokens and then generally how you could see fan tokens being used in the future? Um, I love what they're trying to do, right? And I, and I, and I, you know, I believe in fan tokens. Let's use that as a generalization, right? I believe in fan tokens. I believe that the, the concept of how do we engage in a much better way than a Twitter poll the fans who love our asset, our team, our whatever it may be, who are not just the ones here. The confusion, I think, goes to, again, the media jump on a couple of things. One is, well, the fan in the stadium is more important. So, okay, I, I, I think that's an irrational argument in my view. Um, I think all the fans are important and those fans have different needs and desires. Actually, if you go back to the Dow conversation, a, a DAO will end up owning a sports team, and I quite like it. They can defer all those responsibilities to the executives, which they should. They should have the authority to fire the executives if they think, or the manager, if as a cohort they think they're doing a terrible job. They shouldn't tell them, in my view, what they do on a day to day basis. So you need to create so, that structure. So you think, so think that a DAO will majority own a professional franchise in a major league? I th I th ooh, not yet in a major league. I mean, I think I saw this morning that a Dow is trying to raise four billion to buy the Broncos. The yeah. NFL is not going to allow a Dow to own no. the Broncos. Yeah, so, their bylaws say that it's so. The, so the I would almost argue there's all these bylaws that just completely impede that. 
Right. So I think the NFL one, I would say, I could understand why someone would call that a scam because the rules of the NFL mean the Dow is not going to be given permission to buy it. So if you invest in that in order to buy an NFL team, you're doing it with zero chance of owning an NFL team. So I think that is mismarketing, right? I think that is close to fraud, right? That's not fraud. I'm sure there's better people who look at it because I'm sure they're trying. I'm sure they'd love, to, I'm sure they would love to own the Broncos. I just don't see any way in hell the NFL will allow the Broncos to be owned by a Dow. I would have liked to have seen instead of maybe the teams that were in the Super League doing, you know, a, a single member on the board to talk about fan issues, maybe they should have done a minority Dow and said, okay, um, on these issues and these are the rules, you get a vote and a decision. And those of you that are season ticket holders and members and come to the venue get these rights. And those of you who are members but don't get to come have these rights. And those of you who will who live abroad and will probably never get to come here have these rights. All right? Well, I, you get to vote on different issues that are important to you. The guy who lives in the Philippines shouldn't be voting on policies around ticketing for the venue. All right? That would be irrational. So they don't all have to have the same rights. You can so petition your, this up. Your, your point about Manchester United, if you own shares in it, understand what are your rights and, and right. the voting rights and then also preferential voting rights. I think that that's something that the easiest way for people to understand this is, is it is similar to a current kind of investment. It, it completely different. It is completely different at the kind of the top level, but in the ways that you can create it and create preferential voting rights, you can create different, um, I guess, rewards or incentives. Like you said, if, if I'm, if you're getting up at 2am in Brazil and you've paid for your, um, you've paid for your um, streaming service internationally, then potentially that's something that um, you would get certain rights that attribute to that, that would automatically trigger it, obviously through the blockchain, then you automatically get all that. And that's, that's an automated system. Um, so I definitely take your point on that. So, so I, I just think, you know, there is some really cool things, you know, if, if, I don't know, an Arsenal had said, we've really heard you. And rather than having one guy sit here and tell us what you guys think of in a representative way, and is it really representative? Why don't we have a DAO? So the issues that we would have raised, we put to all of you. But again, we partition those votes depending on who is in what position and where and what, where their role is in the DAO. I think that would have been really cool to see and would have been said, we're embracing one tech and two, we're embracing you, the fans. We understand you all have needs and those needs are different. I think where we get into a complicated world right now is some of the things that you, know, someone like a socios gets smacked on the head with is, well, um, you're voting on something that's meaningless. I would say that's the rights holders fault more than necessarily socios's. I think there's, a, I think there's a lot more work to be done, which is again, an educational process that I'm sure socios are trying to do with their rights holders, which is you actually cap the value you create both monetarily and for the fan. I should inverse that for the fan and therefore monetarily, that's the way it will work by giving them weird things to vote on, like the music coming on the, on the team bus or whatever, whatever it may be, right? And people smack them on the head of that all the time. 
And you're going, well, that is a web one, web two sponsorship kind of, these are the assets we've had on our, on our tray. This is what we can offer you. And someone's come along with a web three technology and said, well, that might be all you have now, but we need to rethink that, right? We need to update our thinking about what are the assets that that far fan are looking for and will engage with. And it's a learning process and we're not going to get it right on day one. And in many ways they haven't. So that is a challenge that comes down to utility. Right? How do we provide better utility to those that own the fan tokens? The second piece that I think people hit them on for, and it doesn't need to be associated with anyone doing this. They get hit on well, well, they're traders and speculators because well, well, they, the they got vast... hit by the uh, advertising council in the UK that said that the, they didn't. Well, I'll come back. I'll I'll come back to that. But, but the the question that they were asking was, um, these guys are speculators. I said, well, some of them obviously are because the vast bulk of people who own cryptocurrencies today. I think it's something like less than 6% of the planet owns crypto. So by definition, go back to your marketing 101 or econ 101 at uni or school, whatever it was. Those are referred to as early adopters, right? We are not yet at the early mass, right? You can see by the way Coinbase, Crypto.com and others, FTX are spending money around sport and sponsorship are trying to go from early adopters to the early mass, to then a mature market, right? This is a classic cycle we're witnessing. So because it's all the it's only really early adopters who are on crypto, that those that have bought fan tokens are, st are the ones who have wallets who are there for early adopters. So the logic is, it's simple. Mm. So how do you, I think a better question would not be, there's too many speculators, so okay is how do we get there to be a preponderance of fans, right? Who, by the way, would still, by their full definition, still be relatively early adopters of crypto. Where, so I, I think there, you know, we will get there. And I think one of those things has been, I think, you know, every season ticket holder has been given a token or whatever it is, the whole number of the clubs, right? Which is how do we get true fans in? How do we get them? The important bit is, and I haven't seen it this, I know Arsenal did get a, a slap. Whenever I've seen any communications from Socios, it's as a fan engagement tool. So they are selling it as, we are trying to give you utility with a, a opportunity to vote and participate in things that previously, as a far fan, it's not aimed at the guy who lives necessarily in the city and goes to the game. But I would say more to those who've never been or would love to go and won't have a feel for it is we're trying to give you something more and we're trying to figure out more about that utility and the more we have you on the more we give it it has not been sold as come here because you could make a load of money and by the way you could also lose a lot of money so but, but they that, have but they have fans have made money and fans have lost money i think it's an interesting one where it's not been sold to them as that. So ultimately, if you buy one for two or five or 10, you're meant to be buying it as a fan for the opportunity to participate. But, but the issue that I have with that is that it hasn't, I agree, it hasn't been sold as that, but equally it hasn't had the warnings or at least the, the information that it is still 
a financial instrument. Like you said, you can lose money, you can gain money. I think I equate it to sports betting. I don't think there's an inherent evil in that. It's just that being sold as a fan engagement and fan engagement tool in and of itself. Well, so I, I would actually draw out being actively saying, but also there is this risk attached to it. In kind of, it's kind of the the uh, the way that we advertise alcohol or anything else, um, anything that has a kind of syntax uh, uh, applied to it, uh, is that you know don't don't drink if you're pregnant or don't drink to excess or don't drink and drive or back in the day you know smoking causes cancer things like that that there are there are things that we put limits and labels on this because we have seen well, and, and, and i think i think i mean i i need to go away and verify but i'm i'm certain they probably have those kind of warnings on it but it's not sold as a trading thing right it is traded clearly it's traded um no one's shying away from that there is a very clear difference though to me between that and gambling which is why i find it a bit funny to to see so many people so angry is that we do lots of partnerships with gambling companies and I have no issue with gambling whatsoever. But the goal of that is to get you to lose money. We drive you to the gambling companies and the way the gambling companies make money is you losing. Yeah, the house always wins. But remember, they don't win by you winning. They win by you losing. So we have for generations, particularly in the UK and now in the US, where it's, oh, look, it's this wonderful thing that's going to drive engagement. It is designed specifically to make the fan lose money. Actually, it doesn't want them to make money. Mm. Just enough so they keep coming back and then create a habit. And there's also no further utility outside of the bet being placed. There's you, none. You don't get some sort of bonus rights or act. I mean, they are looking at things, stuff like uh, Buzzer doing their their um their alignment with betting and and other things where maybe if you place a bet, then you get access to the content. But at the end of the day, the bet is is the uh, is the core product. But I, so I think that to me is where I I have real fundamental issues is that the vast majority of people in the industry are are okay with taking money, and I'm okay with taking money from gambling. Like I have no issue with it. It's it's. Again, I go back to the wall garden is a human trait. Gambling is a human trait. It's just going to happen. Mm. And it, I'd much rather it is legal than illegal yeah. for all sorts of reasons. But we've always been happy, particularly in the UK and many markets, increasingly in others, to say, partner up with, you know, go spend your money on this platform that where you are truly designed to lose money. We're okay with that. Here's something that says, look, I want you to have a say in your club. Right? And we have to accept that at the moment, yes, a lot of them are speculators and traders. And even when it becomes the early mass, there's going to be plenty of traders on there. There is utility. That utility will improve. And I, I think there is, a, there is a benefit both you can, if you win, if the currency goes up, the people who own Socios will make more money. If you trade your tokens, they will make more money. The more you're on the platform, they will make more money. They actually want you to do well, right? They will do better if you do better. That is very different to if you do worse, we do better. Right, so I, I, I do find that an interesting dichotomy that we face, but I also think it's the first iteration of Socios. It's the first iteration of fan tokens. It's the first iteration of 
a Web3 product, in my view, along with Topshop and, and those NFTs, trying to figure out how does a rights holder have a direct-to-consumer and directly monetizable relationship. And it's not going to be perfect on day one. It just isn't, right? It just isn't. So we've got a ways to go. I like Socios. I like the guys at Socios. I like the guys at Dapper Labs. I first met them in 2018. Um, I like some of the products that they've been creating. I like where they're going. Um, this is Gen 1. And, you know, I have a couple of fan, I have a Flamengo fan token. Um, I've, I think I've voted on one thing. I haven't done anything else. I have no idea today what the value is, but I can afford to do that. And I got it at whatever it was to whatever it was that the listing price was. It's not, it's um, you're not. No, we're, we're Gen 1. <laughs> I think also Gen 1, but also lack of probably, um, competition but if you talk to anyone in the web deeply entrenched in the web three space they don't like using in those ter terms they like to talk about it that it is so early that it's not about um not focusing on competing with anyone we're actually just focused on building um which i i get the point that's very nice and fluffy but in reality <laughs> that's not how business work and it's not how investors look at it but that being said, I'm, I'm kind of looking, I agree with you and you've evolved my thinking on it a lot, even just in this conversation, and especially that example with sports betting, um, is, is seeing how it goes from Gen 1 beyond, but then also when you have more players in the market, that it is, there is a competitive tension in terms of what is being offered, how it's being offered. Obviously, the caveat with that, um, as you mentioned, is anything in Web3 when sports teams or leagues are looking about how do I get involved in this is really understand what are you, what are you signing away and what are you signing up for? Yeah. And I, and I would say where I would like to see on, on all these things is again, I would go back to utility and community. And for that, I often go back to my first principle of conversation. So if you can provide more utility and more community, whether that's an, an NFT or a fan token, whatever it may be, I think you'll drive value for the fan, right? Um, if they can feel like they're involved, they will spend more time, they will spend more money, they will be, you know, and, and that cycle starts to really build. Um, again, I think we're early days in all these products. Um, there's some really cool stuff coming down the pipe from them, from others. Um, I do think you should think very carefully you know, as to what you as a rights holder want to do in this space. Um, I would encourage you to learn as much as you can. And I would encourage you to play in this world, right? Personally and professionally. Um, you should be trying to figure it out, well, you know, what is the metaverse? What is blockchain? What is a fan token? I should own one. I should own an NFT. What is the experience owning via Coinbase or Binance? What, it, what you, know, you don't have to spend lots of money and it can be done personally, but also what then does that mean for me as a consumer, the fan as a consumer, where will they be? Um, and how, how when 30% of the world is on crypto, which I think will happen 
faster than maybe some of us think. How we make sure we're there for them, right? Rather than having to play catch up like we often have as an industry. I'd really like us to be ahead on this one because I think it, it offers so many opportunities for sports. Um, and I would just go back to where we start in this conversation. Start with a fan, then figure out what the tech, what your strategy is, then figure out what the tech is that can deliver on that, right? And you will, by the way, if you want to be successful in fan tokens or in NFTs, by the way, you damn well better have a database. Yeah. <laughs> you damn well better have content and a content engine. All these things that we're already doing, and there's some great people advising and building for that. You need them anyway. The things that you had to do for web one and web two, you will need for web three. The application of it will change over time. But you still, you know, we're a content industry. The fan, the fan is king, the content is queen. But without the content, we don't have the fan. So you, it is a circular thing, right? I mean, you can argue one comes before the, the chicken and egg, right? Um, so build your content engine, but what's the tech that delivers it? What's the distribution model and how do you make money from it? As that morphs from web one to web two to web three, that will change. Per your earlier conversation, the balance of power will change from the organizer to the team, to the athlete and the individual. Just as with Spotify completely changed who got what. The, the pie hopefully enlarged, how it got cut up and sliced and diced changed radically. Yeah. Um, there's still plenty of money, by the way, to be made in music. The way it's done is very different. Um, right, well, I think that's a good, good point to end on. And usually we ask our guests, um, favorite sporting moment of all time, but you've already been on the show, so I assume that hasn't changed um, between now and, and last year and the year before. Who's my... Your, your favorite sporting moment of all time. We've already got that um, on the show. So I'm, I'm going to, or no, I'll ask you again for people. That no, no, ask me a new one, but you know, it, it, you know, it, it, it will continue to change, right? Because greater sports moments happen. Um, you know, getting to watch Chelsea win the Champions League with my father and my son next to me. Last time they did it, I was me on my own in the stadium, which was amazing. It was insane. This time I didn't get to go, but I was in the same room with my son and my father, which I didn't do last time around. Totally different experience. I was still a total wreck at the end of it. Um, but individually, yeah, I met Muhammad Ali. Life-changing moment for me. So whilst it wasn't a pure sporting moment, meeting a human being like that, let alone an athlete like that, to me totally fundamentally changed me that's that is amazing i mean yeah we're talking everything we talk about as well in terms of muhammad ali's and as an early um i, I would say power I, of the individual just 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 incredible just incredible I, on so many levels the the important thing and i think not unlike a politician where he was amazing was i was in his in his home his he was actually his mother's home for about an hour before we made excuses to leave. Here's the bit that struck me was, he made me feel, me and my mate who were there, like we were the only people alive, like truly special. And I guarantee that anybody else who met him probably felt the same. 
he understood the power of the fan. He understood the power of connection, right? Now, how would he do that in today's age? I have no idea, but there's a reason why he had a special connection with people. Yes, it was his, his way with words. Yes, it was his way of boxing. Um, the way on the fly, he went, holy crap, I need to do rope-a-dope because I can't actually stand and fight this guy. I have to wear him out. Things like that made him a genius sportsman. But I think anybody who ever met him just went away with like, wow. And that transcends it. Um, and some sports teams could do with learning the same thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, that, that's a great point to end. Thank you so much, Michael. This has been a, a really interesting conversation. You've evolved my own thinking, as I said, um, and I selfishly love hosting this to be able to just learn so much. And I always love chatting going and Yeah, and, and be challenged on a, on a lot of this. So, um, yeah, thanks for being on the show again, and we'll, uh, we'll have to make it an annual thing. Brilliant. Love it. Thank you, Thomas. Stay safe. And uh, I'll keep following you. Ah! <laughs>